Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. It's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night. I'm John Heindorf. Uh, no midweek motorsport tonight, but rest assured we still have a packed programme. And a programme that is full of something a little different for you tonight. Unless you've been hiding under a rock this week, you must have noticed that yesterday the announcement finally was made, after a very well-kept secret, that two of the world's biggest brands are back together again at Motul Cotillamont. Coca-Cola and Porsche. The red and white flat sixes are going to be out on the track at Road Atlanta for 10 hours on the second weekend of October. Well, as you can imagine, these things don't come together by accident. So coming up tonight, we'll be having a chat with all of the main players who've made this happen and some of the people for whom it will affect their lives, including Earl Bamba, who will be wearing a red and white race suit with the Coca-Cola swoosh on it find out how excited he is and we'll also delve a little bit into some of the marketing material that's been put together for this fantastic partnership now that's all still to come but to underline just how important this was to coca-cola on tuesday they unveiled the porsche rsr the 911 rsr in their colors at coke world and invited their employees to come and watch as well as some local media from the Atlanta area. Well, of course, we were there and I was honoured to be asked to moderate a panel that came straight after the reveal. So the first thing we're going to do is let you hear exactly how it happened from the very moment that people walked in through to the reveal of the car and then the panel discussion that followed it. And then after that, we'll have some exclusive interviews uh, with those who were involved as we delve a little deeper into the whole story. Sit back, enjoy the story of the revival of Porsche and Coca-Cola together again. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Senior Vice President of the Coca-Cola Company and President of Coca-Cola North America, Jim Dinkins. Wow, what a cool day for Coca-Cola to have the Porsche team, NASCAR team, all of us here today. I have to admit I'm a big Porsche fan, so it's an honor to have you here today. Uh, but for those who don't know, the Coca-Cola and Porsche partnership began uh, over 40 years ago. Uh, this also marks the 50th season for the International Motorsports Association, which wraps up here at Road Atlanta with the, Le, the, the Petit Le Mans next month. So make sure you uh, go see that. Er earlier this year, our friends at Porsche uh, reached out to us with an idea to help celebrate uh, IMSA's golden anniversary uh, with a unique hometown tribute, a tribute that only Porsche, thank you, and Coca-Cola could do together. 
bringing back the iconic Coca-Cola livery to the 911 RSR race car. And we loved it, and we said, absolutely, we'd love to do it. What's cool about working at Coca-Cola is there's always a Coke story in the history, and this one is just the same. Uh, and I want to share a little bit about that, that, that history. So during a race at Daytona International Speedway in 1980, our local Coca-Cola bottler by the name of Preston Root, the Root name might sound familiar, approached longtime Porsche race driver Bob Aiken about backing his Porsche 935. Now, the root name probably sounds familiar because of the importance, important place that family has in our history. Preston's great-grandfather, Chapman J. Root, founded a glass company in Terre Haute, Indiana, that in 1915 patented the bottle design that would become our iconic Coca-Cola Contra bottle. Later, Mr. Root acquired several bottling franchises, and in 1949, Preston's father relocated the bottling business to Daytona, where it continued to grow. Which brings us to 1980, when Preston ran the business and connected with Bob Aiken at the track. Well, after that first race, the partnership grew, and a long-standing relationship with Bob Aiken Motorsports Racing, and of course with Porsche. Bob continued to race the famous Coca-Cola red and white colors, on the Porsche 935 and later the Porsche 962. And Bobby, Bobby Aiken, Bob's son, is here with us today, and I'm sure he'll have some great memories to share during the panel in just a moment. As Coca-Cola people, anytime we see a 935 or a 962 race car still sporting the iconic Coca-Cola livery, we're so proud. And so, Porsche, thank you very much. Let's give them a round of applause one more time. So are we ready to see the car? Let's unveil it. Let's go down and do it. Can we have a count to three? Everybody? All right, what do you think? I think we should do a special Coca-Cola toast. Get your bottle. Hopefully everybody got a special Porsche Coca-Cola bottle on the way in here. Yep. So with the uh, the best ride refresh you could ever have, I'd be scared to spill it in there, but uh, the best ride refresh, Coca-Cola and Porsche. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that's good. I like an audience who are going to have a little bit of back and forth. My name's John Hindhoff. There's no reason for you to know who I am at all, other than that I get excited about these kind of cars that we have in front of us. And I get very excited when we can talk once again at Motil Petit Le Mans in a couple of three weeks' time, just up the road at Brazelton and Road Atlanta, about a works Coca-Cola Porsche. Sounds good, that, doesn't it? Really good. Uh, my normal job, if you can call it a job, is travelling around the world and getting excited about this type of motor racing for TV and radio. And IMSA Radio is uh, one of our biggest projects and Radio Show Limited, which is the company that I work for. I also see these cars race at the Le Mans 24 hours as well. So as I said, not really much of a job. What we've assembled here today, thanks to Coca-Cola and Porsche, is uh, a little panel of gentlemen... And I use that word advisedly, absolutely, gentlemen, who 
can talk a little more about the significance of this car, of this branding, and of its place in world motorsport right now in the International Motorsports Association, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So will you please welcome our panel, Scott Atherton, Bobby Aitken, Earl Bamber, and Stefan Horvath. Scott Atherton, President and COO of IMSA, let's start with you. You've been around the sport as a fan as well as involved in the sport for a little while, so you've got a long-standing relationship with about pretty much everybody uh, who's involved in this, uh, this project. Um, Porsche, yes. Coca-Cola as well, though. In one of your previous lives, tell us a little bit about that. Well, amazing being where we are today celebrating this outstanding uh, activation. I was working with Domino's Pizza back in the 80s, 85, 86, 87 era, when Bobby's dad was racing the car that we're celebrating today back in, the, in its day. And uh, for those of you that have been around Coca-Cola for a long time, the name Ernie Felice might ring a bell. He was in charge of the Domino's account, and we had Coca-Cola on our IndyCar. And at that time, they uh, got involved with Bobby Aiken, with Bob Aiken, and decided that there needs to be a, a shared sponsorship there as well. So the Domino's Pizza logos appeared on the Coca-Cola Porsche. And I would always know where the team was racing because we'd get a panicked call from the local franchisee saying, your race team is here and they want free pizza. So <laughs> we, we figured out how to handle that. It wasn't a problem, but uh, so many fond memories there, it, it's hard to keep track of them all. At that time, Scott... Do you think any of us, including yourself, realised how fondly the iconic liveries of Porsches of that time in particular would be remembered, and particularly the, the court cars? I don't think anybody realised at the time the history and the, the iconic status of the liveries of that era. Um, if you're not a student of professional sports car racing, it probably doesn't resonate as much. But for someone who's a fan and has been a fan for many years... Back in that time, it was the IMSA GTP cars, the prototypes. And I am of the opinion that the liveries of those cars have become the benchmark icons, not only of that era, but of motorsport. Uh, the Coca-Cola Porsche, absolutely, unequivocally, at or near the top of the list. The Lowenbrow Porsche, the Red Lobster prototype. These are all liveries that if you follow this sport, it automatically creates a mental image and, and it truly is iconic. The fact that we're celebrating this example in such a respectful and dynamic way, um, hats off to Porsche and hats off to Coca-Cola for pulling this together because it's, uh, we're going to make some modern-day history with this. Bobby Aiken, you heard the story of how it all got started. Now, what you didn't hear was about Bobby himself. I know him as uh, an executive in... Uh, the broadcast media, where he has been for many years. But he's done quite a bit of racing himself. Uh, class win in IMSA GTO at Daytona. You don't get those by accident. I did a bit of racing, he said. Uh, one of the uh, executives now of the Motor Trend Group, so clearly understanding the importance of partnerships, relationships uh, and sponsorships, as well as anyone from both sides of the street. Uh, you were very young when this first came together, uh, Bobby. What, what was it like when your dad was racing and all of a sudden your dad's race car turned red and white? 
Well, it was a it was a magical time for me to grow up in in, in kind of this environment and and with Porsche and 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 Coca Cola being the great companies and brands and families that they are, and we were truly a racing family that that kind of got into into this world. Uh, so it was it was magic. Um, Mr. Dinkins had said about um, you know the, the Root family and their connections going back to the Coke bottle. Um, a, you know, it, it's amazing how it all comes together. And, and uh, Mr. Root had actually reached out to my dad um, at Daytona. Um, it, the backstory was at the time, um, the Roots were very involved in, in Daytona, as, as he had mentioned. Um, Mr. Root was none too happy that the Speedway had done a deal with that other soft drink company uh, up the road in New York. And, uh, and so uh, he decided to sponsor a team in the biggest sports car race held at that speedway. And, uh, and then it just evolved from there and became one of the most iconic, long-lasting, I think the longest-lasting major sponsorship in sports car history. It evolved. Uh, it was only supposed to be a two re- well, it was a one-race deal where my dad threw in Sebring uh, to get the deal kind of iced. And, and uh, so we did Daytona and Sebring. And, and then my dad was faced with a decision to uh, repaint the car or maybe just keep it on there because it was a great brand and maybe other people would follow. He also loved the aesthetics and the look of the car, thought it was amazing. And, uh, and so then three or four races in here at Atlanta, a junior executive from Coca-Cola kind of approached him and said, you know, that's not really legit anymore. And, and, and maybe give us a call and uh, let's talk about making it, making it a permanent thing, and, and that's when it started. Well, I suppose we've got to ask the question then, does it pass the test? You've got to unveil it. There must have I, been a, a little scintilla <laughs> of excitement when you did it. Does it pass the test? Does it look right? It's, not only is it stunning, uh, to be honest, and, and really on behalf of my family, it is such an honor, and literally brings it to you. Bobby, thanks for being with us. Oh, Great thanks. stuff. Thanks for the, the memories as well. Stefan Holvath, the uh, Porsche program manager for this 911 uh, RSR, which denotes it's the, the race car. Been a long, Steve, a long season, Stefan, up to the, uh, through into Canada, right across the States, Le Mans uh, as well. Um, how much work does a livery change put in for the team because it's not paint anymore as it used to be in Bobby's dad's day but it's, it's still some work that has to go on there on all the panels. Yeah it is but uh, first of all uh, thanks for having us here. Uh, it's not a typical day at the office for us I have to admit but uh, we're really having a blast so far so thanks for having us here. Um, obviously yeah it's a bit of work uh, as you know we, are, we have uh, two race cars. Uh, in the end there is uh, at least two sets of bodywork for each of those cars so in the end uh, when you change the delivery of the car, you have to vinyl like six cars, six cars in total. Uh, plus, what is special on this car is the white, uh, the white wheels. Uh, as we are in endurance racing, just to give you another number, uh, each of those cars has 12 sets of wheels. So we have, 40, so we have 24 sets of wheels to repaint as well. Uh, but in the end, if you, if you have the chance to be part of such a thing, uh, nobody really is starting to complain, you know, about the additional work. That well, hang on, hang on. You <laughs> say that, wait until... The guys who do the tyres have to keep scrubbing the wheels to get them back yeah, to white again. Yeah, I already told my tyre guys, uh, I don't think you will like the white wheels uh, for a long time. 
Listen, if they're fast, they'll be beautiful. That, exactly. that's, that's the thing. Fast is beautiful. Fast yeah, is beautiful. Uh, it's still, it's, uh, yeah, it's like an honor to, to feel those two cars out in, in, in that iconic livery. Uh, as you know, we will change to a new car next year. And uh, we are very much looking forward to send those two cars out, uh, screaming out loud for the final time at the, the last race of this good season that it has been for us so far. Nice way to send this version yeah. off with the, the new colour scheme. And just some thoughts from an engineering perspective about Road Atlanta and Petit Le Mans. Give our audience here uh, and those further afield who will be listening to this later an idea of the sort of challenge that Road Atlanta is. These people are on the doorstep and maybe some of them don't understand what a fabulous and iconic racetrack it is. Well, the easiest way to understand would be just to come and see us at the race. I mean, uh, we can tell you now. <laughs> <laughs> Tickets are still available. We, we can tell you plenty of stories about that place, but uh, you have to experience it. You have to see it. You have to feel it. You have to smell, you know, that special fumes. You need to see the emotions on site. Uh, this is definitely something which, you know, I can tell you a thousand words, but uh, the picture or uh, the, um, yeah, the, the occasion uh, is a lot better than that. But uh, just the challenge is like the whole package. I mean, the track is unique. It's, it's really a driver's track. Uh, it has been expensive for us. Uh, why expensive? Uh, because, you know, there's some really fast corners. Uh, there's no room for mistake. If there's a small mistake, you end up in the wall at, at very high speed. So in the past, yeah, we lost quite some chassis there. We still have a test there between now and the race. So uh, there is a chance to get this dialed out. But, uh, and then, obviously, you start in the morning. Uh, go through the heat of the day, uh, finish at night uh, in terms of setup that requires a bit of a compromise. You know, obviously, you need to survive through the heat of the day, but want to be on point, you know, when it matters, when the, the trophies are awarded uh, towards the end of the race, when it's dark and the temperatures are a bit cooler. So that's like, uh, that's, that's really a tough and demanding task for everybody in the team. And uh, yeah, the drivers love it because they can really make the difference at this uh, very iconic American track. Thank you, Stefan. Good luck and race safely. Well, your, your boss, effectively, says the drivers love it. Earl Bamber, ladies and gentlemen, Porsche uh, factory driver. He's won pretty much all the big races, endurance races, uh, around the world. But Motul Petit Le Mans, Road Atlanta, a driver's track? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely always special to come back here. Um, for me, it's a, it holds a special place in my career because it was the first ever time that I drove for Porsche in a factory car. So um, I was... Uh, 2014 in their junior program, um, trying to make my way up, and um, I got a phone call that I would uh, be driving one of these RSRs at this race. So for me, it's always a special one to, to come back here because it was sort of my journey into the, the factory racing world. Um, we finished on the podium the first ever time there, so um, we're going to try repeat that. Obviously for us, it's very, very tight in the championship as well. We've been leading there the, the whole way, so we're counting down that, but this year in IMSA with the 50th anniversary has been super special. Um, we did a, a fantastic throwback livery in Daytona and then we started to hear these rumours that maybe it's possible that we'll do a Coca-Cola uh, throwback and um, as the drivers we're incredibly excited. I mean, if you look at the car, um, but it's also just an honour to stand on the grid to be able to drive the car. It also gives you goosebumps. We get super enthusiastic and the fans absolutely love it. The reception of the fans is something incredible when you do these liveries. So I think once it gets released to the world today, I think everyone's going to go crazy for it. I, I was going to say, you can't see much of it when you're in the car. The, the rear view mirrors, you can see the rear wheel arches, maybe a bit of the hood, the bonnet uh, as well. But do you, 
you, you say the fans engage in it, and does does that get you, you put a bit of pep in your step, as they used to say in these parts? Does that get you wound up a little bit more when you've got people excited about what's going on? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, if you think about as a kid when you're growing up, you think, okay, I'd love to race for Porsche, but I'd love to have Coca-Cola on, on my car, and you can never dream that, um, you know, for me to race such a car with two iconic brands, and we have to do well. I mean, we have to go and win the race because we don't want to finish at the back. So we've got a bit of pressure, you know. Um, Otherwise, you never get into the airport here again. These guys know people who know people who know people. That's right, Jim, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, pressure, the pressure is all on. You're battling for the championship. Your closest rivals, Lawrence Van Tor is, uh, is Earl's teammate, and there'll be a third driver uh, who uh, will join, Matthew Jaminet, a very good young French driver, will join for Petit Le Mans, being that it's, it's 10 hours long. Their closest rivals in the Drivers' Championship is the other car. So that's Nick Tandy and Patrick Peele. So team orders? Do we, we hear about team orders in other motor look, look at the smile on his face. That would suggest no team orders then, and you two are going to be allowed, and again, from around these parts, to have at it. I think um, it's been probably Stefan's best ever season, but uh, his worst ever season at the same point in time because he's had both of the cars, let's say, fighting against each other for the championship. And uh, they don't like to say that we fight against each other, but at the end, we're in competitive sport. Uh, the first thing for us is to try get Porsche to win. Uh, we've managed to win the manufacturer's title, and, um, and now it's just down to the two cars on who wins the driver title. No one else can, can get to us, so... Um, I guess we can, we can fight each other now, as much as he'll say that we shouldn't look at the others. But um, to be honest, in all seriousness for this race, um, we have a nice little gap uh, in the Drivers' Championship, and we're not too worried about it now after the last race in Laguna. And um, to be honest, uh, me and Lawrence, we want to, uh, and uh, Jam Jam, we want to go out and we want to try and win this race. Last year we were leading and, and we got a penalty at the end, so... Um, we need a little bit of redemption in, in this race. So, yes, there's a championship on the line, but, you know, the Petit Le Mans that we have in Atlanta, it's such a big event. I think, um, you know, it's in your backyard. You should definitely come and watch it because it's such a great motor racing event. And it's one of the big three races you want to win in the world. You, you want to win Le Mans, and then you want to win Petit Le Mans. So, you know, that's why we're all going there. And, yes, there's a championship on the line, but we're going to try win it in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. Stefan, I've got to bounce back to you. How have you kept those four drivers somewhere near under control? I say somewhere near because, of course, as soon as they get in the car and the visor goes down, and Bobby knows this as, as well as everybody, they always say, helmet on, brains out for, for drivers. True, true story. The engineers will tell you that. How have you managed to control them, Stefan? I feared it was coming. but <laughs> <laughs> um, No, I mean, for, for us, it was... Uh it's very easy, actually. Uh, in the beginning of the season, we lay out uh, the targets for the upcoming season. And the first and foremost, that's the manufacturer championship. So it's Porsche above all, Porsche above each single individual. And uh, then we said, oh, to achieve the target, you know, at some point, it's better to split strategies between the two cars. And then obviously, there's always a bit of a strategy that looks a bit more favorable on paper compared to the other. But what we did this year, and I think it has been turning out quite well, is splitting the strategies in that cases. And at some point, you have one car that is lucky. The next week, the other car is lucky. So it always turns a bit around. 
And in the end, that put us in a position where we are in, in a really good championship position, not only for manufacturers, but also in terms of, of the driver and team championship. And this is credited down to the team, to the, to the drivers, that they, you know, they have a certain rule set. First and foremost, don't hit each other. Is, you know, <laughs> we did that already this year. Yeah, look at Bobby laughing <laughs> at that, because he's done some driving as well. Never hit your teammate, Bobby. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's definitely rule number one. That's, yeah. that's a bad idea. But uh, I, I, I actually like to go back to something Earl said. So for, for those of you who don't know uh, as much about this, this world of sports car racing, the greatest phone call a race driver could ever get is the Porsche factory calls you to drive their car. This never happened to me. <laughs> when you got that phone call, were you like the kid on Christmas morning? Where you, the minute that you hung up the phone, what was going on in your head? Actually, I've got a, I've got a couple good stories about that. <laughs> so yeah, this this first time when I when I tested the the factory car was was absolutely incredible. So um, you know you you couldn't imagine what it's like to get this phone call um, from from Porsche to step up and you know um, Porsche have a fantastic pyramid and they um, really nurture young drivers. So I was um, basically a product of this. Um, I started in, in Asia racing and I raced Carrera Cup and then in 2014 I did um, your Porsche Super Cup and you would say this jump never ever happens but for me an even more special one was um, at the end of this I got a call in about December that I would test the LMP1 car and if you remember this was uh, our big program that we did at Le Mans and then uh, so I had to do the test um, and then I had to fly straight to Daytona and do my first full season race with Porsche and I can say that I, I made a complete meal of it, and we managed to hit. I managed to take out both of the factory cars in the same moment. <laughs> and and we laugh about it now, but I remember very clearly sitting in Atlanta Airport, um, and my my boss at the time, Frank Valazar, called me, and I thought, okay, here we go. I'm completely out. I'm going to get kicked out for doing this. And he called me and said, um, you need to pencil in the date for a meeting. So I said, okay, um, big trouble. Um, yeah, you're going to drive Le Mans in the 919. And uh, this was a moment that I, that I always remember because I, uh, you know, I thought something bad was going to happen, but uh, then this good thing uh, came about. And if you imagine Le Mans, it's our biggest race, and to go represent Porsche, we're the most successful manufacturer ever there um, at this event, and as a young rookie to go there. And I remember one time I went to the test, and they said, so what do you know about hybrid systems and all these cars? I said, and there was Formula One drivers and everything. I said, I just drive cup cars. I don't know what we're doing, actually. So, yeah, it's, it's a very, very special moment for a driver to get these sorts of phone calls, and uh, it's very nerve-wracking. But I guess it's a little bit like a football team when you get the call up or something like that. And they did still take him on, and he won Le Mans as well. All right, we'll finish off with you, because these... All these good people have got uh, work to do today, unlike us who are just enjoying your fantastic hospitality. And on behalf of all of us up here, thank you very much for the hospitality that we've been shown here today. <laughs> Earl's already said it, so is Stefan, and so is Bobby and Scott. But if you have got the opportunity to come to Matul Petit Le Mans in the uh, first week of October, please do. Second weekend in October, actually, is where the race is. I'm just talking about when we get here to start work. We'd love to see you up there. Uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta is unrecognisable from how it was when I came for the first Petit Le Mans in 98, 1998, which was my first time here in the States. 
Uh, so I've got a, a real emotional attachment to that race. So I am a bit biased. But I do get to watch motor racing all the way around the world. But I always feel like I'm coming home when I come back to Petite. And that's m- absolutely down to the atmosphere that's up there and the kind of racing that we get. So please come and join us if you can up there that weekend. Thank you very much for hosting us. And will you please thank our panel again in the appropriate manner. Scott, Bobby, Stefan and Earl Bamba. You're listening to a special programme on the RSL network of channels. I'm John Heindhoff. So that was how the car was revealed in front of the local media and Coca-Cola employees and a little bit of a panel discussion, as you heard there, uh, with Scott, Bobby, Stefan and Earl. But we thought you'd want to hear a bit more. So we decided to grab some of the principles and delve a little deeper into the circumstances in which this all came together, this bringing back of two fabulous brands, and also the logistics of shooting that extraordinary marketing video that I'm sure you've all seen by now. Uh, So some of the people you'll have already heard from in that panel discussion, but let's start off with the man at the top of NASCAR. This was very important. Jim France uh, came to that unveiling on Tuesday, I caught up with him and first asked him just how important it is to have Porsche and Coca-Cola back together again for Motul Petit Le Mans. That's wonderful. They uh, they had some they created some great history together, and we're looking forward to them creating some more history uh, coming up here at the uh, Petit event coming up at the end of the year here for us in the championship and very exciting time. Both of those brands have been so instrumental in sports car racing and in motorsport in, in general, particularly with Coca-Cola uh, in, in NASCAR as well, of course, we think of, of that down through the years. In a 50th anniversary year of IMSA, it seems almost kismet that it should happen. Yes, no, it, it's uh, very, very special. And uh, it's, it's, I think, for, for all of us, uh, Coke fans, Porsche fans, NASCAR fans and, and uh, sports car IMSA fans, it's, uh, it's great to see. Now, since you brought the two series, the Grand Am and the uh, American Le Mans series, back together, we've seen a rise and rise in the interest in sports car racing. To what do you attribute that, other than, I know, the hard work of Ed and Scott and the team? The, uh, well, it's exciting racing. Uh, we have a, a lot of wonderful companies involved uh car companies uh with some great products out there the the uh quality of drivers that we have Mm -hmm. competing it just creates uh some fantastic racing and it's appreciated by a lot of people including you because although you're so inexorably uh associated with with nascar down there at at daytona you've always been a sports car fan and of course imsa was your baby to start with well, I, I grew up uh, in Daytona. It's my hometown, and uh, with the Daytona Speedway there, and the, and the sports cars started right when when we went to the big track. Uh, we actually ran sports car racing at the airport in New Smyrna down there before, while the track was being built. So uh, I've got a, a great love and history with sports car racing uh, as I was growing up. Why is it important that? Why was it important to you that you and Dr. Pernos a few years ago got together to ensure the 
forward uh, potential of sports cars in the in the U.S. here? Well, the the uh, it brought back together all the great events into the single championship, and so it was uh, with two championships running in the same uh, space. It was it was confusing to a lot of people, uh, and uh, being able to be able to put together all of the great events back in one championship made all the difference in the world. And with the success of the current iteration of Daytona prototypes and the excitement surrounding DPI 2.0, as we're all calling it, whatever it gets to be called, new manufacturers becoming interested all the time. Important to stay relevant, though, Mr. France. Yes, it is, and, and uh, that's the uh, exciting thing about prototype racing is you can bring in some of the future uh, development uh, that, that can perfect itself on a racetrack, and, and uh, we look forward to that opportunity with the uh, next generation of prototypes that we're developing. It makes me laugh now to look back and remember what some people were saying when what they saw as NASCAR were taking over, what they saw as the American Le Mans series, only happening to close it down. Far from the truth, the, the, whole, the whole area of the sport has gone from strength to strength, and I'm sure the fans would like to thank you for that. But you're not finished yet, are you? No, the, uh, we've got a long way to go, and, uh, but we've got a great team of people with the, on the IMSA side that are working 24-7, just as we do on the NASCAR side for the stock cars. Uh, but there's a great collaboration, and and there's a there's a benefit for both racing, and uh, so and, and the relationships that for motorsports in the U.S. with all of the major manufacturers around the globe, and we are a big market for just about all the major manufacturers, uh, and we think we have the best racing opportunities for them uh, between the two series. So, Scott Atherton. Well, what what a day for sports car racing, what a day for IMSA, for Porsche and for Coca-Cola. Uh, Porsche in particular, one of the longest supporters of IMSA racing in any guises and to bring back this iconic livery. You're a fan, I'm a fan. The, the enthusiasm from everybody for this is, is just extraordinary. Tell me how you first heard about it and what was your initial reaction? Uh, I got a flare from Scott Bartlett from Porsche, and he said, uh, you know, I, I need to get 10 minutes with you this afternoon. We've got a really interesting project, and I think you'll you'll like it. Had no clue. And a small sidebar comment here, when this car was in its day, back in 1985, 86, 87, I was actually responsible for the motorsports activities of Domino's Pizza, which was the partner on the car with them. Um, Coca-Cola was with us on our cart IndyCar with Alancer Jr. And as a result, Coca-Cola brought Domino's with them. So I, I had a personal engagement on this car back in its day. When I saw the details, when I heard about what was coming, it, it just put the biggest smile on my face you can imagine. And I've described this to others. This is a promotional activation for Motul Petit Le Mans, the likes mm -hmm. of which money can't buy. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you went out to buy something like this, there is no, no way you could do that. It has to come from within. And uh, I can't say enough about what Porsche has done and to, to a lesser degree, but no less important, what Coca-Cola has done mm. as well. It, 
It is such an iconic partnership down through the years that Porsche has had with their sponsors to the fact that, you know, in the glory days of Group C racing and the, the times that you've been talking about, in fairness, there were a lot of Porsches out there and we talked about those by the names of the sponsors. So it would be the Coca-Cola Porsche, the Gulf Porsche, of course. That's, that's how, how it was referred to. And in that way... I suppose that's why it got into the, the racing's fans' consciousness so much. I think that era has produced some of the most iconic liveries of all time. And it, I'm not as familiar with the Group C as I am of mm. the IMSA GTP mm -hmm. era. But when you think about what we're celebrating today with the Aiken, Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. Porsche livery, the Lowenbrow livery mm -hmm. on the Al Holbert car, mm -hmm. The Red Lobster livery. I mean, these things, you, as soon as you say the word, you automatically get the mental image of yeah. these iconic visuals of what those cars were back in the time. And they live on today. Correct. And when you see what Porsche has done this year with embracing the historical significant liveries of the past and deploying them in such a classy, memorable, respectful mm -hmm. way. Agreed. And this is just the latest example. But uh, from our perspective at IMSA, this one hits home. And one would almost think that, you know, IMSA were having a big anniversary this year. The 50th anniversary year, Scott, has been a brilliant celebration of all things IMSA. And... Uh, the, the the words you mentioned there, actually, in, in the respectful way that it's been done, I think, has stood out for everyone. Yes, there's been hoopla. Of course there has been. It's worth celebrating. But it's not as as if um, IMSA aren't going to be around anymore. It's IMSA looking backwards, but always looking forwards, too. All true. And when you talk about this year of celebration that we've had, you know, it seems like a year ago that we kicked it all off at the Rolex at Daytona. And we encouraged our event promoter partners to help us celebrate. We certainly encouraged the teams to, to do all that they could with retro liveries and just keeping in mind the celebration as we work through the season. There have been many, many examples that have come from all those categories. Having IMSA be the featured mark at the Rolex reunion at Monterey mm -hmm. was truly a highlight. Uh, we had six of our strongest manufacturers uh, directly involved with us there but I will have to say that what a way to finish um, at Motul Petit Le Mans you know we've had the four cornerstones we've celebrated the tracks we've celebrated the teams the drivers now we're going to finish up with celebrating the fans uh, it's a bit of a tip of the hat to Don Panos and his for the fans Indeed. and it's it's uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta is the birthplace of Petit Le Mans and to have Porsche do what they're doing as the season finale of not only this championship season but also of our 50th celebration it just couldn't be better only thing missing is Don because I have a feeling he would have enjoyed this massively this particular project he's got a big smile on his face because uh, you mentioned it before you know Porsche's been a part of the fabric of sports car racing since it began uh, they've also been part of the fabric of IMSA sports car racing, and in particular, the America Le Mans series. It was Fred Schwab that first gave Don the commitment and encouraged him to use his commitment to go get others. Yeah. And you don't ever forget that. No. It was BMW, it was Porsche that put their hat in that ring the first time, which then attracted others. And I see you already wearing... We're back to red, white and black on your lapel pin. We talked about that in the State of the Series over at, at Road America a few months ago now. 
course, the, the problem is, Scott, you've had such a good 50th anniversary year. How do you top that in, in why, why R51, <laughs> effectively? But there's lots of things coming. And DPI 2.0, everybody wants to talk about it. Getting closer. The last time you and I talked, the uh, hybrid side of that was going out for, for tender and RFP. That's getting closer? It is. And we just have completed this past week the most recent technical working group which involves uh, today nine manufacturers as well as the four constructors that we currently work with for the LMP2 chassis. Uh, it has been, I believe, a textbook. Nine manufacturers? Nine manufacturers. Not necessarily all committed? No, 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 but it's, uh, there's a lot of time commitment mm. involved in being a part of this process. A lot of plane tickets, a lot of hotel rooms, and a lot of time, which means nothing other than they wouldn't be participating if they weren't genuinely interested because this, this is not a casual process. It's a, a, a very deep dive into the next generation of regulations, but it has gone exactly as we hoped it would. Mm -hmm. uh, it's on schedule. Uh, there's potentially a 10th manufacturer that has expressed a desire to become a part of this process, so that's mm -hmm. good news. If people are engaging, it tends to think that they're looking at it on a more than semi-serious basis. Exactly. Because they, because they want to compete, because they want to know that they can get an edge somewhere. Well, one of the things that we've just recently accomplished is we, we took what I would describe as the draft regulations and we applied them to the freedoms that a manufacturer will have in designing the next generation bodywork. And we went to Andy Blackmore and said, Andy, here are the dimensions and mm -hmm. here's the freedoms. Mm -hmm. Let's take a couple of examples from manufacturers with their blessing mm -hmm. and let's model the next generation DPI with all Excellent. of the flexibility they have. Mm -hmm. And we showed those images at the most recent meeting. And it's an example of, you know, a picture says a thousand words. And once you connect the dots yes. and you say, this could be your example, yes. um, suddenly it gets people talking to the point that they say, I need a copy of that because I want to show this to my board of yeah. directors. So Scott's just showed me that because it's on radio. It's, it doesn't matter. We can't even describe it. It looks fantastic. No, I'm only kidding. But that, I mean, theater you, of the mind. The theater of the mind, absolutely. Yeah. That and the fact that DPI exists, that and the fact that DPI exists and exists in a successful manner now for a couple of seasons that those kind of things have got to be a, a, an aid to you guys when you first pitched dpi it was a bit nebulous it was out there people didn't really know what it was going to look like certainly didn't know what it was going to race like and didn't know exactly what it was going to cost um, <laughs> so now you have some actuals uh, we have testimonials from existing manufacturers who have shared with great transparency their experience. This is what we invested to create our bodywork. This is what we invested to package our engine. This is what it took for us to create our DPI. We're not looking to change other than the fact that the next generation will have more freedoms in the bodywork and it will incorporate a hybrid. Mm -hmm. Other than that, the goal is to keep things in check keep a very tight lid on the costs associated and make sure that this continues to be a sustainable example of top-tier prototype sports car racing. Which is all very exciting, and I can't wait. And I can't wait to see those visuals for real. If Andy's done them, I know that they'll be a, very well done and be sensible as well and, and not pie-in-the-sky stuff, very good stuff. Scott can't talk to you without finishing off again with Motul Petit Le Mans, um, the big race at the end of the season, the race that in motorsport terms in a very short time has become 
one of the Blue Riband events around the world. Do you get to look forward to it? Do you get, do you get excited about it? Or do you wait until it's underway and you can breathe a sigh of relief? Yes. <laughs> I was just at the track yesterday and again this morning. Uh, I will say that the preparations are, if anything, ahead of where we typically are at this point on the calendar. Um, the weatherman has not been doing their part in that no. it's been bone dry and very mm. hot, so it makes it a challenge to keep the landscape looking pretty. But the new Michelin Tower, which I know it's an often overused phrase, but it will be a game changer right. for Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, and I mean that across the board. New media center, new timing and scoring, new race control, new suites, a rooftop observation deck that is stunning by every measure. Um, I can't wait. And uh, when you look at what's coming in terms of the on-track competition, mm-hmm. the championship still alive, mm-hmm. um, the scope and scale of the event continues to grow, as remarkable as that may sound, because every year you say it's not possible to get bigger. Um, once again, I think this year it will get bigger. Scott, well done for you and the team. I know you'll always say it's a team effort, and I'll see you at Motil Patilamon. Can't wait. We'll see you there. Thank you. El Bamba, very, very exciting day today with the reveal of the livery for Petit Le Mans. Uh, does it excite you? We've had some cool historic liveries for Porsche in the past and they've been pretty successful as well. First of all, your thoughts on how the car looks? Yeah, the car looks incredible. Um, I think also the shots that the team managed to do around Atlanta was pretty special. Um, I think it's a huge effort by Porsche North America to even get some of the roads closed down and allow us to race a uh, a fully fledged race car around is a pretty cool project. Um, awesome with Coca-Cola. I mean, we've done some throwback liveries, but I think you can't think of more of an iconic brand to be able to race on the car at Petit Le Mans, the season final, last ever race for the, the RSR as well in this generation. So it's all exciting times. Um, let's hope it makes the car go well, as the previous liveries have as well. Tell me a little bit about the uh, tale of two helmets this morning as well. You were uh, you presented a, a helmet uh, to the big man at Coca-Cola today. Yeah, no, we wanted to pass on something special um, so that they can remember the event. So um, we have a, a helmet painted up in the livery of the car, which is uh, something pretty cool. I think it'll look good on the desk. Um, take a lot of space up on the desk yeah but uh, how often do you get such an iconic partnership together so it's something to remember it by and um, yeah I also have my own special livery um, helmet for for the event as well because it's not often that you get to have that brand on so um, I think it's going to be like I said a fun event all around when we go to Petit Le Mans celebrating IMSA's 50 years the last throwback livery um, all of that stuff uh, already, of course, looking forward to that event. WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca behind us. I'm probably you're quite pleased to see the back of it. It wasn't the best of events for you in terms of, of pace. When it was hot and slippy and horrible, Porsches were good, cooled off on race day, and that wasn't to your car's liking, it seemed. Uh, I don't think we were ever really in the game there the whole weekend, to be honest. Um, we know that that track, for some reason, isn't our best track. Um, we're still scratching our head why we can't work it out. Um, I think it's a little fact that um, it's the only track that we haven't won yet as a mm. factory team. All the others we've ticked the box at, so uh, we've still got a little bit of head-scratching of that place. It was the same with the old car as well, wasn't it, with the old configuration? So, you know, the the, the extra downforce that that big splitter, uh, the uh, big diffuser rather, gives at the back, which, you know, has helped everywhere else that you were um, slightly deficient, it just doesn't seem to have worked there. Is that because it's such a low-grip circuit? I don't know. Maybe we should blame the drivers or something like that and change the car and that didn't work, so we should just blame the drivers or something. No, but in all seriousness, um, 
Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, we're also not sure because normally we're pretty honored everywhere else. Um, obviously, we're a bit disappointed um, by the by the results on the weekend, but be sure we're going to work even harder coming to Petit Le Mans. It's a, it's a good little wake-up call because we've mm. had a sensational season all round, um, always been on the podium at every race, and um, having a seventh and eighth is not what we want to see. Yeah. But in terms of, for a Porsche side, it was a very positive weekend. Um, obviously, the manufacturers, if we cross the start line and Petit is done, um, it's only between 9.11 or 9.12 for the mm -hmm. drivers as well and teams. So basically all is wrapped up already. So and Zach Robichon in a Porsche won the Sprint Cup as well, which was nice. Exactly. So, you know, GTD was also mm. strong. Um, so all round a good Porsche day um, on a bad day as well. So we can't complain. We've had an amazing season. Um, you know, the guys have worked incredibly hard. Now we've got a fantastic highlight to round out the year with a with a special livery. We did a throwback to Mobile One, which was spectacular. The fans loved it, but I think this is another step up. Um, I'll ask this question because if I don't, people will wonder why I haven't. I know what your answer is going to be, but there have been conspiracy theories abounding that you guys were taking it easy at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, so you didn't get any BOP adjustment for Petit Le Mans. Um, I saw you getting out of the car because you were right in front of our booth for a change this time. I think I know what you're going to say to that. But let's address that because it's a question that's that's been put out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people think that we were sandbagging and uh, just playing around. But I can I can tell everyone that we weren't. We were trying our hardest. Um, you know, we, we obviously wanted to try to secure the Drivers' Championship on our car especially. Mm. Um, you know, the season's rounding out and we want to round out that as quick as we can and take no chances. So we wanted to try and be as quick as we could. But um, in all honesty, that's what we had on the day. Um, and also, to be honest, IMSA does such a great job with the BOP these days. People say that you can hide and you can do stuff, but you can't. You know, they've got incredibly smart and talented people working behind the scenes. They can see the acceleration curves. They can see when people are, are backing off. It's not of the old days where you can, you know, hide two or three seconds. You can, you simply can't. And you can't hide two or three tenths now. No, exactly. And, and, you know, it's also a big part of our category is how the tyres work. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we went to VAR and we were massively quicker than everyone else. And, you know, it was just our track. It, as soon as we drove other pits, we were like, okay, we're in the game. And, mm -hmm. and you know, when you have the tyres work, the car handles great. Everything works so well. We drove out of the pits in Laguna Seca. And it was like, oh, shit, this is going to be really <laughs> tough the whole weekend. And, and when they don't work, they don't work. And, you know, it's also a very tough job for IMSA to BOP that because one weekend you will be strong when we work the tyre better than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And then you go here and, and we just generally drive hard. I mean, we got basically lapped and we don't want to get lapped. And um, somebody, somebody said, and I thought it was, uh, it's a joke, so don't take this the wrong way. You did well to become seventh and eighth with the performance you had at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it was sort of a race to, on our car, we were just happy to have um, a step, quite a step more performance than our sister car. Um, on the stint averages because mm. when you can ever beat you know the guys like Tandy and Pillay and the other car by that margin normally you you win a race mm. and today we were only seventh so it shows you know that we were trying our hardest um but you know like I said we'll learn from it um we do want to tick the box of winning Laguna Seca I think mm. we'd probably tick the box of winning Laguna over everything because it's the only track yeah, that we haven't, haven't. Mm. um and it's one of the most iconic tracks in the country and we want to do well um, so yeah, and normally Petit's a strong one for us. So well, stronger, and yeah. But let's see. I think it's going to be a tough one. I'm sure the other guys will joke that we were playing around, but uh, 
I wish we were. I yeah. wish I could hold Westbrook behind me, but he just wanted to punt me and turn me around. <laughs> no point in doing that when you've got a championship uh, to win. You've got Matthew Jaminier joining you again for the long race at Motul Petit Le Mans. Uh, and as you've said, Road Atlanta, tricky circuit, but a circuit that uh, the RSR in various guises down through the years has tended to, to do all right or better than all right at, depending on the weather conditions again and depending on the tyres. But it is a 10-hour race, and it's, it's a fixed 10-hour race now uh, in the, the, the recent years. So at least you've got the opportunity to play some strategy cards and make some alterations if things aren't going uh, early on. So what's the, what's, the first, what's the first thing that comes into your mind then when you guys are setting up for that? Is it just to beat the 9-11, or are you still going out to win that end-of-season race and give the current iteration of the RSR a good send-off? To be honest, I don't think we need to worry about that too much with the, with the points gap touching wood. Um, we, so we need to go out and try win the race for Porsche at the end mm-hmm. of the day. That's um, what we're there to do. We're not there to come seventh. We want to go and win. Mm. Uh, we were close on our car last year. Obviously, 9-11 got it. Um, generally, we struggle a bit there during the day, so we mm-hmm. have to survive a bit during the day. Um, when it gets dark and a bit cooler, then, then we sort of come alive. Um, and we have a fantastic strategy team um, and group of guys in the pit lane, which normally put us on a good strategy to keep us in front, even though we don't have uh, sometimes the quickest car there. I think last year we were the slowest car and still won the race. Mm-hmm. So... You know, we don't do that on purpose. It's uh, we are again trying hard. Um, it would be much easier if we were the quickest thing out there. But um, you know, we managed to strategize our way up to the front, and hopefully, we can do that again this year. I think it's going to be a tough race because, you know, Ford have got nothing to lose. They're going to try go out on a bang. They've been mm. pretty strong the last couple of races. They've found something in the middle of the season, and mm. you know, since oh God, where was it? Lime Rock. Um, you know, Road America. And then they're also very strong in Laguna. They've been on a roll. Mm-hmm. The only one that we could fight them at was VAR. Um, so I think they'll be typically very strong in Atlanta and they'll obviously want to get the last win for Ford. Um, BMW's really improved a lot as well. Um, and our old foes Corvette are always there no matter what. Well, that could be the last run for that car as well. So they're going to want to do something. They haven't won for over 520 days. By the time we get there, it'll be a lot more than that. So they've got a point to prove as well on a track that they've done well at too in the past. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, it's going to be a spectacular season finale. I think everyone's going to be gunning for the win, um, which is going to be super cool for the the championship. If you look, everyone wants to go out on a high. There's a lot of cars retiring. so in all aspects, I think it's going to be a fantastic event. Um, it's always really big. Um, you know, the track up there, they put on a fantastic show. It was my, my first ever race with the factory team in, in America, so it's always got fond memories as well. Ended up on the podium, so hopefully we can go back to the podium at least, or, mm. or maybe Victory Lane. Earl Bamba will be driving that in a Coca-Cola call, a Porsche. Sounds pretty good, though. Yeah, it does, actually. It should be cool. Bobby Aiken, what sort of feelings does it elicit from you watching that Coca-Cola works Porsche being unveiled here today at Coke World? I mean, that must just take you back to your youth yeah. immediately. No, no doubt about it, John. I got to tell you, it's such a, uh, it's really just such an honor for my family and, and a tribute to my dad and, and everything that he stood for. And, and um, you know, the, the nostalgia of it, to be honest, is is very personal because it was some of the greatest times of my life. You know, I grew up in this amazing world of of uh, of, of not just motorsport, but being involved with Porsche and Coca Cola mm. and everything that that brought to the table 
was just a magical environment for me and 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 everything that that kind of I've in, in many ways evolved into. We all talk about the emotion in motorsport, and in in many ways, particularly sports cars with the longer distance races, it it lives, it thrives on the emotion. That's often a shared emotion between friends, between fans, enthusiasts, particularly over long periods of time. What we're talking about here, though, is something intensely personal for you and your family. No, no question. I mean, uh, you know, uh, endurance racing and, and especially the 24-hour classics, you know, are, are almost a microcosm of, of a life, you know. And, um, and so that's very true. But also, uh, again, the personal side of, of being deeply involved in, in, in all of it for so long and the different iterations of sports car racing and, and how it's, it always evolved and it had its higher times and its lower times. But it's also been amazingly consistent that, uh, that there, there is this, this ever-growing history that, uh, that, that really I, I've just been in love with since my first day at the racetrack. And Porsche, in particular, is synonymous with racing and with endurance racing. 70 years of Porsche last year, 70 years of Porsche racing, because the first Porsches raced, and customer racing for Porsche as well, which is obviously where your dad came in. That was a, a cornerstone for Porsche. They were one of the first, if not the first, manufacturer to really start making a business out of selling customer cars. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a business venture for Porsche, for sure. And, and yet it was also really a testament to the car they built and both on the roadside because a lot of guys were racing the road cars, right? And if you got a Porsche, you know, unlike many other brands, if you got a Porsche race car delivered from the factory, you could race it that day. Yes. Literally yes. off the truck, it would race. And if anything was an issue or a problem, there was somebody there that you could count on. Yeah, the parts weren't cheap but it was a lot cheaper than having to carry all that stuff in stock and bring it to the races every time. So in the end, it was a very, I don't ever want to say motorsport is economical, but it was, it was a realistic <laughs> program that a, a serious car racer like my dad and, and Dyson's and all those guys could come to a racetrack and be supported as opposed to if something went wrong, you put your car in a trailer and went home. Mm. You know, you had the guys like Alvin Springer and all those legendary people that have been involved with Porsche Motorsport on the customer side over the years that would make it happen year in and year out. And that, that, is, that is the cornerstone of what kept sports car racing going in many ways for many years. You can't have known back then, though, and neither could your dad, that that deal with the local distributor to put the red and white colors on your dad's race car was going to become an icon of global motorsport. No, uh, you know, I think my dad probably had that vision because he always was a big brand guy. And, uh, and he loved the Coca-Cola brand and what it stood for and, and their dedication to, to Coca-Cola and, and uh, that it was a global brand, that it was known everywhere. Um, so I think he probably had a little more insight into it than I had 14 or whatever years old I was. Um, but, uh, but no doubt, it, uh, it was amazing to see it evolve and, and especially where it first started, you know, when, when, when the, the reality of, of the sponsorship was a, really a one-race deal with Sebring thrown in mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Preston and Chapman Root from, mm -hmm. from, uh, from Daytona Beach. And, mm -hmm. and uh, they were so integral into the history of Coca-Cola. Yes. Um, and, uh, and they were also involved with Daytona 
both locally and the speedway. And Mr. Root was none too happy when the track did a deal with that other <laughs> that other company up in uh, there's, Somers, there's, there's another company that makes <laughs> some kind of cooler, yes, is that? Yes, yes. They, they have a little blue in their pattern. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Mr. Root uh, reached out to my dad and, and, uh, and uh, wanted to uh, sponsor a Coca-Cola car at Daytona. So this was, this was guerrilla marketing in its earliest form? 100%. 100%. And, um, and so that's where it really began. And it was really Daytona and Sebring. And then my dad had three, kind of three things going on. Number one, again, a global brand like Coca-Cola being involved. It was a good thing that potentially we could attract other, other partners. Mm -hmm. Number two, uh, he felt that, that, that he loved the look of the car. And, uh, and, and he was a big guy on, on aesthetics, right? And three, if he was going to take off the paint, he was going to have to pay for it. And like most race owners, right, he wanted to see, you know, that, that, that so thousand if he left it in the if he left it in the colors as long as possible, it saved him money. He didn't have to repaint Very it. Good. And that money was better served on another set of tires. So, <laughs> so, uh, so that was really the, the reason it stayed on uh, the car and, and then little further down the road, I think here at Road Atlanta, mm. a junior marketing executive from Coca-Cola, Ken Hill, uh, pulled my dad aside and said, uh, hey, um, you know, you really can't keep doing this unless it's official. So why don't we talk about making it official? Mm -hmm. And that's where it started. How was it for you then as a teenager back then? Um, you were already into your motorsport. How could you not be with what your dad was doing? But was it cool to have that? brand on the car and did it did it make an impression on on the on Aitken Jr yeah no question I mean I think the, the, I learned a lot of lessons uh, some we'll talk about some we won't but uh, <laughs> but uh, but look I, I think the big thing that it really instilled in me was the importance of, of of paying attention to your brand and and my dad was religious about it from measuring the the differences on the width of the ribbon on the side of the car uh, to make sure it was within spec and it had to be the certain color of coca-cola red and, and i presume it was painted those days it, was, it wouldn't be it decals was, no it was uh the original was painted and then decals were short to follow but mm -hmm. but they had to be done right and uh and uh yeah, no laser cutting vinyl like they yeah, do nowadays and photo etching this that and the other no and and so uh so that was uh very important to him and 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 that was also true of Porsche, mm -hmm. and uh, and and at the end of the day, I think one of the greatest lessons I've learned is to is to you got to treat your brand with reverence, and still be nimble to change with current business environments. But but in the end, you know brands like Coke, Porsche, Rolex, mm -hmm. you know they are they are stewards of their brands, and uh, and I think that's really important. And I suppose that is just as uh, apposite in the motor trend, motor trend group, which is where you are at the moment. I've known you for most of the time I've been in the States. You've been a, a broadcast executive. Huge changes ongoing in the broadcast environment, in the, in the sphere of how we consume everything. Absolutely. I mean, it's changing. It's a bit of the Wild West out there, for sure, in, in, the, in the media landscape. And, uh, is that good, and, though? Yeah. Is that sort of disruptive and changing? Or, or is, can that be a force for good? Or does it mean that people are looking around for someone to lead? Um, I, look, I think people are always looking for somebody to lead. But I think it is good. I think people are consuming media the way they want to consume it. 
And in the end, it's still about the stories and the content and the storytelling, right? And having a, a solid foundation, great storytelling, and, 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 and again, being nimble yet true to who you are as a brand and, and a company. And Motor Trend has been around for 70 years about, and, and has always been about content. Mm-hmm. So it's now we are distributing that content across every possible medium from digital, social, print, Mm-hmm. linear mm-hmm. across the board and where people want to find content we'll be there to give it to them and, and sport of course always has motorsport in particular always has the power to surprise and to engage and and to emote as we were talking about earlier absolutely and uh and uh you know the power of 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 the car and 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 what it stands for whether that's a 1955 porsche or the most current uh, version of, of the Tiguan that just came out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, is 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 you know, it's all still in the end, the brand, Porsche, it it stays true to itself, and and that's what people continue to be excited about. I mean, there was eighty thousand people at Rensport a year, a little over a year ago. How unbelievable is that? I mean, that is just a true testament to how Porsche has managed to stay relevant and current no matter what the changing landscape. Now you like I, you more successfully and for much longer than I have been able to, but you do don a helmet once in a while, and you have done in your past. Any chance of getting behind the wheel of this new Coca-Cola Works Porsche? <laughs> no, i got to tell you, those days are behind me. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've, put, I've sort of seed there now, yeah. though, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, look, you know, I, I, I learned a long time ago that I, I, was, I was an okay driver, but at the end of the day, there were a lot of guys better, and I diverted for a reason. Um, but uh, Five laps around Lord Atlanta wouldn't hurt, though, would it? You know, if they offered, I'd be there. No question. <laughs> so I would drive that thing in a heartbeat. But uh, we'll, we'll leave that to Earl and, and, and the boys that are currently in those seats. And, you know, God forbid if I ever hurt the thing, I'd be <laughs> devastated. So it wouldn't be a good career move. It's brilliant to see the colors back on the car. It's fabulous for you and the family. Uh, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you. Cheers. So I'm Stefan Hilbert, and I'm the program manager for the Porsche Factory program in the IMSA GDLM Championship. WeatherTech Race with Laguna Seca behind you and a very tough weekend for the drivers and for the team. Do you learn from a, a weekend like that? And do you, is there something that you can take positive out of a car that's towards the end of its development life? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like, uh, like always in racing. There's always stuff to learn uh, and uh, even more when you don't finish on the podium, which we unfortunately didn't manage. It was the first race since over a year where we didn't bring any car on the podium. So uh, obviously this uh, was a bit of a wake-up call uh, going into into the last race of the season. Uh, obviously, uh, if we knew what we had been doing wrong, then obviously we could have changed it during the weekend. So still a bit of a uh, of analysis ongoing. Um, but on the other side, always uh, we have to prepare the next event. Uh, we are preparing uh, the season finale at Petit with a text next week on site. So focus is there. So we'll always so we have to find a bit of the balance on you know digesting the last one and preparing the next one. But we. We have some good guys around who will take you know the proper conclusions and then we'll see how uh, the things we we went through at laguna will prepare us for uh, petit limon the thing is you finish seven and eighth you're not that far off the pace in terms of lap time and average lap times but with no yellow flags and with 
the GT Le Mans category, category being so close, there's no way to get that back, is there? Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, uh, the car that finished second, the BMW, the 24, he was on average only like one and a half to two tenths quicker than us. But if you multiply that by 110 laps, you know, it, it still ends up with, with a decent gap. And uh, usually uh, what you see there is, is, uh, is a couple of safety cars. So that opens up a bit of strategic opportunities. Uh, unfortunately, not this time. And then if you have no pace in the car, even if you are just two tenths behind, mm -hmm. uh, it's not a fun race. I can tell you that because... It, in order to play out a different strategy, obviously you need to have either pace or a safety car. We mm. didn't have any of those two elements, yeah, which made it a bit challenging. Looking forward to Road Atlanta, another typically uh, American track, road circuit, classic road circuit, exactly where the 911 likes to be. And whether it was in the full rear-engine layout or the slightly more mid rear engine layout the car seems to to like it there there's a lot of acceleration zones uh, there's a lot of corners that the car provides a stable platform for the drivers and for the tires yeah i mean petit is, an, is another tough one for us we had some really really good memories to the track but we also had some races some years where we didn't perform so well i mean 2015 was maybe the highlight on winning it overall but then the year after in 16 we struggled 17 we struggled uh, but last year we struggled just beginning when it was hot and then mm. in the end uh, you know when the sun said and when we are when the temperatures were going down a bit we were on point i uh, had a good strategy for the last pit stop and then you know could could seal the deal with a with a victory there and it's uh, it's a really iconic track like you said it the drivers really love it because uh, it's another typical driver's track uh we lost a couple of chassis there already because once you do a mistake there you are in the wall bedtime yes. and yes. Uh, obviously that can make a difference but i'm uh, pretty confident we'll get this one prepared as, as best as we can and finish up the season in style now you guys on the engineering side uh, and are just as professional as the drivers. And, and in some ways, we kind of expect you to be a little, in, in some ways, um, have a, a little less emotion about what you're doing because you're dealing with numbers, you're dealing with absolutes. Whereas us as fans, we get very excited about things. So does it matter to you what colour the car is? You're going to be engineering and running to Coca-Cola Works Porsches. Now that makes my heart beat a little bit faster. Yeah, mine as well. I mean, it's just if you if you look at a car, it just it looks outstanding. It's fantastic. It's still as I have goosebumps yeah, have, as, yeah. as, as, as I speak now. It's just it's just it's really outstanding, and it gives you a bit of a of an extra motivation. It's always special when you when you roll the car out of the trailer first time on track and you see it in the livery. It's it's really cool, and I'd love to see pictures of the car and the car driving around the track. So that's like you said from uh, from my point of view, it's a bit. Our sport is about emotions. Yeah, some mm. do show it a bit more than others, but we ju we all do it because of emotions. Because if we wouldn't have these goosebumps or you know the pulse uh, racing ahead of the race, uh, then maybe it's better to stop and to, and do something uh, less exciting. So we all do it for the emotions. Uh, but from from my position, it's a bit more, you know, managing those uh, emotions mm. uh, in the team, and especially, you know, in a situation where we are now with both cars fighting for the championship. You know, you always have one car who is a bit more lucky, the other car is a bit more sad. Mm -hmm. So in the end, you have to make sure that both are on on the same level, and uh, you know, everybody understands what the target is. Porsche always evolving, whether it's the road cars, the street cars, yep. or the racing cars. So. Motil Patilamon will be the farewell in American racing for the current iteration of the RSR, which was a big step forward, uh, a big jump forward, uh, some big uh, technical and engineering uh, challenges that you guys have, have, have had to meet. The new car is an evolution of that, perhaps not quite so big a change 
at least from the outside, although I'm told there's, there's quite a lot different in the new car. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a, it's an evolution. Obviously, when we did a step with with the current car going uh, to a different engine location, it took us a while to figure out how that thing actually needs to be treated and handled. <laughs> and uh, I think this now shows up in, in in the very last year of the program. And uh, you know, when we once we started developing the new car, we just looked at the strengths and the weaknesses of uh, of the current car, and we're focused on working on on the weaknesses of of mm. the old car, so making a bit more more consistent, uh, you know, a bit more predictable, a bit more linear to drive. And in the end, uh, the target is to to have none of these, you know, experiences where we had at Laguna before to put the car, let's say, in, in a wider window, in a wider operational window, not just working on, on pure lap time performance, because in the end you get BOP'd anyways. So for us, the focus was on drivability. And as you said, if you look at a car from the outside, it's not so easy to tell. I mean, for us, obviously, yeah, because we see the car every now and then. Um, but there's been a lot of work going also in the details for on the driver's working place, uh, you know, with the steering wheels and mm. the buttons. There's all the drivers were included into the development process from day one. Uh, so all their their uh, their wishes and demands were put in place as well to make their life as easy as, as possible. And in terms of the setup, will you be able, do you think, or have you in testing found out that you can carry over the knowledge that you have? Because it was such a fundamental change, probably more with the aero change on the last car with that big diffuser rather than even the weight balance change, which actually wasn't that much in when it came to the end of the day. But have you been, do you think you'll be able to, and, and have you found so far in testing, you'll be able to carry what you've learned, particularly in this last 18 months or so, forward into the new version of the RSR? Yeah, there's always a bit of a takeover which you can apply from uh, from the current car into into the new car. Obviously, like I said, the target is to have more consistency, mm -hmm. so we played around a bit with, with aero balance mm -hmm. to make it a bit more consistent, but there's also some stuff that we definitely can take over the learnings we had in the last couple of months. Uh, and what was the reason for moving the exhaust pipes? Because they used to come out the back and everybody loves the sound of the current flat six with those exhaust exhaust coming out in front of the rear wheels now from the pictures that we've seen well in the end it gives you a bit more design freedom for the rear end of the car which is very important for for the aerodynamics uh, i do have to say that uh yeah i like the sound of uh, of the current car a tiny bit better than what we have but in the end it's <laughs> it's all about performance and in the end if your car is quick uh, the people will love it if, if it's winning it'll sound great exactly yes <laughs> good luck at motul patilamon thanks for all the hard work that you and the rest of the engineering team go we must keep reminding ourselves that Paul is an engineering company that just happened to build street cars and race cars. We'll keep trying. Yeah, thanks. The motorsport and driving events manager from Porsche is Scott Bartlett. Scott, you've been intimately involved in this project since the, the very beginning. A lot of people were ready to blame you if it had gone horribly wrong, so you're allowed to take some of the credit. Tell us how this germ of an idea became a package that will get the red and white colours onto the cars at Motil Patilamon. Yeah, it's an interesting story. So we actually started this back uh, after Rensport with our PR teams, marketing teams, Porsche AG and PCNA coming together, thinking about liveries to honor the 50 years of IMSA. And obviously Brumos uh, was a, a clear contender. Um, and then we knew we were going to go to a standard livery for the majority of the season after Brumos. And then we thought, what, we're, what are we going to do for the final race at Petit? And Coke was the clear answer. So the Coca-Cola livery, iconic, recognizable. Anyone in the world would recognize the color, the shapes, et cetera. So we thought it was a great idea um, and so many ties too. So the, the hometown tie between Porsche, Cars North America, and Coca-Cola based in Atlanta for the home race. The theme we kind of came up with was we're uh, going to wear the home team jersey for Petit Le Mans. So 
um, and then really honoring um, Bob Aiken and, and his success and what that livery meant to a lot of people. And it was really neat as we kept developing this idea um, with our PR team talking with Bobby, how many uh, ties there are beyond just it being a livery. Um, ties with other people within the brand and within the IMSA organization with Scott Atherton's tie to the car. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Everyone that you talk to has a Coke story talking about this livery. So um, it really brings back a lot of memories for people. It was uh, before my time, I will say, um, but it's, it's clearly recognizable. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me, and it'll make perfect sense to our listeners. However, Porsche are a huge multinational company with a huge set of brand guidelines, and Coke are, oh, hang on, a huge multinational <laughs> company with a huge set of brand guidelines, which may not now have been the, a perfect fit as it was back in the 19. 80s. So, yes, it looks great. Yes, it sounds great. But I can't imagine that it was just a question of ringing somebody up uh, here in Atlanta at Cork and saying, I've got this idea. Shall we do it? Yes, let's do it. That's not how it happened, was it? No, it's not. And, and that's why we got started in January of this last year. <laughs> so we literally started with a phone call to, um, to the sports marketing director here at Coca-Cola North America and said, hey, we've got an idea. We want to throw the Coke livery on our RSR. Uh, and it really takes people at both sides of the organization to really to steer the ships uh i got from eve um so it's a it's a great line we really had to steer the ships to the same direction because like you mentioned the brain guidelines the the uh corporate identity guidelines everything is so particular and there has to be some leeway there has to be uh, some give and take on both sides um and, and it, it took quite a long time for example our t-shirt design, I will say, it, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's a great design. Everyone will recognize it. Very iconic. But to get both sides to agree on the t-shirt design was about four or five weeks of, of review and, and everyone's departments. And that's not because anybody's being awkward about it. No. That's just the process exactly. that these things exactly. would go through in the normal scheme exactly. of events. And then you're timesing it by two because you've got two brands. And I presume, and again, not because anything there's anything untoward, but there's legal ramifications here as well. Yeah, yeah, there certainly are. And I think it's interesting because you can see how much this livery means to both companies when everyone on either side within all the different departments are looking at this saying you know what let me just push this a little bit further let me just really push yeah. for this and that's what it really was it comes down to people on both sides really championing the idea and really supporting it and getting excited about this to push this forward you know what that proves though don't you the, the, the thing that that absolutely stands out a million miles for me is there's always room for a good idea and people will go the extra mile for a good idea. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little light bulb pops in their heads, and they'll even build off of it. So we mm -hmm. have all of these different ideas coming where we're adding Shira Coke um, titles to the A-pillar of the car. It's Little ideas keep getting spurred off from this general idea of let's put on a Coke livery. And then we've come to this big event in Atlanta. We've done a street drive with the RSR to create a film. It's it's uh, the excitement about this on both sides it gets everyone really uh, anxious to, to do more. So effectively, what you're saying to me is then, this started as an idea for the heritage livery. So what you were doing to start with, having spoken to Scott Atherton, and he's given you credit for making that phone call, so as I said, you can take the credit because you would have got it in the neck if it had gone wrong. Uh, then effectively, you're asking Coke for permission to use their livery. And they could have just turned around and said, no, 
or they could have just turned around and said yes. They actually did neither of those things. They said yes, and how can we get involved beyond that? Yeah, exactly. They uh, they were very uh, supportive. Um, it really started as a call and an email to say, look, we want to use your we want to use your logo on our car uh, for a retro livery. And from there, they said yes, we love it. Let's do more. And the mm. ideas just kept building and building. And that's why we're here doing the reveal at the headquarters of Coca-Cola North America. So it's um, it, it's something that both sides, like I mentioned, have just championed and, and spurred additional further ideas from. Which begs the question that's probably above you, yours or my pay grade. You know, it's great to see the two brands back together again. And who knows what could happen? I'm not asking you to commit to anything right now. Yeah, I think our motorsports PR guy is right behind me, so he's about to jump in here in a second. <laughs> Dave Engelman. He's got nothing to say. Dave, Dave has nothing to say. Nothing to say. Um, are you happy with how it's turned out? It, it was, you know, you were tasked with the idea of looking at some at some heritage liveries, Mobile One, Brumos. I've looked at the model car display at one Porsche drive and gone down there, and you could go, oh, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, definitely that one. Oh, no, 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 not that one. Oh, uh, maybe. I mean, we've had Pink Pig, you know, yeah. all, all of those things. So has it turned out as well as you expected? Oh, yeah, be, beyond that. I think none of us really expected this to be at this level. When we initially decided the idea, we thought it would be a reveal like we've been doing. Um, this has really been a, an event, um, mm. and it's it's taken over both companies. You can see at Coca-Cola people walking around with their swag now and their, their <laughs> stickers and their autograph cards. And, and I hope you've got an awful lot of merchandise for Motul Pate Le Mans, T-shirts, cars, cars particularly, model cars. Yeah, our uh, fan zone shop, our dealer will be selling some model cars, T-shirts, hats, uh, and we'll have some giveaways for uh, autograph session and on the grid. It's been a brilliant experience and the level of engagement between people who, some of whom clearly here at Coca-Cola, among the staff who are involved here today, aren't motorsport fans. Uh, it's been extraordinary. I haven't seen anything like it for a very long time. And that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like when you, uh, you have a spouse and you get a great anniversary gift. We're going to do the next time or the next year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, we've kind of set a standard and um, it's going to be hard to top this. Well, you mentioned Dave Engelman. He's here. I'm going to grab a Dave if I, if I may. Sorry to interrupt, Dave. Come on over here because the acoustics are lovely over here. Dave, um, I'm not going to ask you the, the question about what happens going forward with, uh, with Coca-Cola and Porsche because we're only looking to Matul Petit in October. But I do have to ask you about one thing, that awesome a reveal video that was shot on the streets around Atlanta back in August um, Obviously, took a lot of uh, putting together, and I'll talk to, you about the, talk to you about the logistics of that in a moment. But how has that not leaked out anywhere? That was that was your job to make sure that that didn't, in some respects. Quite amazing when you really think about it. Um, the video is awesome. Our marketing friends just did a phenomenal job. Our PR guys that we use to do the video shooting is top notch, and. Um, Patrick Long obviously came in and did a little bit of driving and had a little bit of fun while he was doing it. You could tell that in the video. Um, but clear, bright, early morning. Woke everybody up within probably a 10-mile radius um, <laughs> downtown Atlanta. And um, no, um, we saw one small thread on Reddit, and uh, that was about the end of the, or the extent of the coverage that I got. So thankfully, um, nobody uh, that took some photos that day did anything with them. I mean, did you have to speak to people and say, please don't? I mean, there was clearly no specialized motorsport press there because she'd kept it so well guarded. But 
I, I can't believe the people who were walking up by the sound of a flat, flat six being revved within an inch of its life through the early morning air on the outskirts of Atlanta didn't stick their heads out and throw a mobile phone at it, a picture at it. I, I just can't believe that didn't happen. Well, the crazier part was it's actually downtown Atlanta from mm. where a lot of that stuff was shot. And I can tell you that sound wasn't enhanced in the video. That's exactly what it sounded like rolling off the walls in the apartment buildings and everything as it was going through the bridges and tunnels and, and along the highway. So, um, But it was an apartment. There was an apartment oh, block absolutely. down there. People were sticking their heads out of the window. And coming up to see what we're doing. Um, I talked to a few people. I said um, we actually have a little secret thing going on if you could hold any of the um, you know iPhone photos and videos mm-hmm. that they were creating and they all were very amenable and said of course there was just personal use and um, they wanted to see it um, one or two were a little um, annoyed that they got woken up so early in the morning <laughs> and I said they could thank a thunderstorm that came through at 6 a.m. otherwise they would have been woken up earlier yeah so we were put off by about an hour um, but it was a bright sunny day and uh, when we did it and I figured it would have been all over the place and um, Thankfully, you know, for a reveal standpoint, you know, obviously mm-hmm. you want your stuff shared. But from a reveal standpoint, it's always nicer to be able to do something with a little secrecy to it and a little pop. And um, I think what you saw downstairs and, and, and with the panel you led and the audience that was here from Coca-Cola was um, they were surprised and um, they weren't expecting it. No, nobody, nobody was was expecting that. When the storyboards come in, the concept comes in for a, a video like that. What, two minutes or so, 90 seconds, two and a half minutes, whatever it is. There's a lot of storyboards that go along that. And you've seen plenty of these down through years, as have I. And you look at some of them and go, yeah, I like the concept, but we're never going to be able to deliver that. And there's some parts, particularly when the car and Pat's overalls change colour, which obviously are done in post, which is very clever. And that's, But just getting those big burnouts and the wide open expanses of city streets, actually, that's probably harder than doing the ph- photographic trickery. Well, half of it is, so there's very little trickery there. I mean, a car completely drove out of our, what we call OPD, or one Porsche drive here in Atlanta, and drove on the streets, obviously not the whole way, but no. drove on the streets, and then we took it out of the trailer, and we did stuff downtown, and then drove into here, Coca-Cola headquarters, and um, and then up to Road Atlanta, and on the on 85, leading mm-hmm. out, and mm-hmm. through Brazelton, and mm-hmm. it did all that. So, um, And it was in the red and white livery at that point. That wasn't put in impulse. Nope. We started with the coca-cola livery mm-hmm. um because then it had to switch back oh, for laguna very good right so we did it backwards and started then overnight we did delivery change mm-hmm. with a white room in a, in yeah. a studio and yeah. then the next morning we finished up the opposite way and um so i would say if there's any trickery that would really be it as far as the reverse order but the rest of it is is all real deal and did you believe then when you saw those original concept storyboards that it could be delivered or the, or did you think oh yeah but this is going to be a whole heck of a lot of work for somebody well one of the great things about working with unbelievable people and it's easy to say that but truly unbelievable people and planning is everything but the plan itself sometimes is maybe nothing mm-hmm. something i learned a long time ago and um you go through the storyboards and then you know what we have a couple officers there we have a traffic light and we're like mm-hmm. hey do you mind if we and the officer's like that would be great mm-hmm. so the burnout was completely made up oh, really? at the moment standing downtown atlanta so when you work with again unbelievable people that can think can execute and can pull something off like that because and it's easy to say this too but everybody that we work with is nice people yeah and we're treat everybody like we would want to be treated so when you're standing there next to the officer that's closing the roads for you sure you're not jerks and you mm-hmm. don't act arrogantly and you don't right. carry yourself in a way that's unbecoming right. and then the world opens to you and did it help do you think that coca-cola and porsche 
are two very much Atlanta brands, obviously based here, but it's not just about being here. They are here. They're part of Atlanta now. That's a great point. And I believe with my heart that absolutely. Um, people are proud that we're here. Um, people in Atlanta are proud. Um, it's a funky little city. You know, it's not tremendously big, um, but the people here are tremendously proud of the sports teams and I believe yes. of the companies that are here. Um, even now with United, the soccer team that's yes. here, there's a big groundswell of support for them and you see it and um and if the officer's there and he knows coca-cola is right across the other side of the mm-hmm. city you know a quarter mm-hmm. mile away mm-hmm. and porsche's now huge place down by the airport supporting mm-hmm. the city itself um i think that goes a long way with the people that are here and um uh, you know and again you don't act no. arrogant you act like no, you're from here and um and you, you're able to do these things on the fly yeah, it's Avengers HQ, obviously. It's always going to be Avengers HQ, one Porsche, one sure. Porsche drive. Sure, sure, absolutely, right? And, um, you know, for some of us that, you know, either live through it, now it's hard to believe how long we've been at one Porsche drive and when the grand opening was. And um, But, you know, we've ingrained ourselves nicely. The people of Atlanta have welcomed us. We've been here since 1998, but most mm. people didn't realize that yes. until we build a, you know, quite a big building and make a major presence instead of two and a half floors of nondescript office building, mm-hmm. you know, up in the perimeter center. Good and, point. um, and all of a sudden, well, now you got to act it. Mm-hmm. You can't just show up in your, you know, your nine eleven or your Cayman or whatever to the office and act like, well, no big deal. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're kind of, um, invisible. Now yeah. we're not invisible. Yeah. So you got to carry yourself in the right way. And, and we found Good. that it has only, you know, benefited us, you know, 20 fold. Now that you've seen the video, now you've seen how the video has been, uh, also, uh, on the reveal, how it's been received by motorsport people, non-motorsport people. It's it's going viral as we're speaking here now. Happy? Incredibly so. <laughs> and um, in many ways, right? The satisfaction of seeing what was from the beginning to what was accomplished, um, knowing how it all came together, you know, working through the edit process because everybody doesn't always agree on, on the edits when you come through these things. Um, Happy's is is incredibly soft word, I think. <laughs> um, pleased and um, looking forward to, you know, things that we can do in the future in, in the same vein. I think from the video side, it shows a lot of different things. One, we don't necessarily take ourselves too seriously. Um, two, we can still have a bit of fun with what we do because after all it says Porsche on top of the building and we have 911 RSR race cars mm-hmm. and it's probably easy to take yourself too seriously because it's all very important in our world but to the outside world we're still playing with race cars mm-hmm. and you better you know recognize where you are and um, and what that means in the grand scheme of things. And just a final thought from you Dave away from the the video and the shooting of the video itself it's just a great bringing back of two iconic brands, isn't it? You and I have been around this business uh, and race tracks around the world to to remember the Coca-Cola Porsches the first time around, and and I'm not sure, I'm not sure that we were talking about this earlier on. I'm not sure there's any other brand that Scott uh, Bartlett or could have gone to, even in the Atlanta area, where they could have turned this around. No, the Coke is really the only one for this. I mean, and we talked about the Conic liveries before a little bit, and you talk about the Lowenbrows and the Millers and the BF Goodriches and, and the Red Lobsters and all the rest that come along with that time period. It's just an amazing, amazing time period. If you look back and, and all the cars are there, you can mention we leave out more than we could do if, mm. we, if we started going back and forth, if you remember them. Um, however, you know, Coke is the one, and for especially for here in Atlanta with the rest of the context that comes along with it. And when we talked last year about where we started with the Mobile One stuff, which was a natural mm-hmm. 20 years, and, mm-hmm. and then we were looking at the 50 years of IMSA, and what do we do next year? Because obviously it's not a slam dunk to get this stuff through corporate and get the stuff through, you know, 
budgets and, and everything else that needs to be done. And um, it was decided early to leave Coke for the end mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a way of putting an exclamation point on the 50th anniversary for IMSA and an exclamation point on the different liveries that we had done since the Pink Pig and the Rothman's car mm-hmm. at Le Mans last year. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, you just couldn't make a more natural case. And the one of the in, more interesting parts of the whole process was just how welcoming and open Coke was yeah. to the whole thing. And I think you saw that today with just how many people came downstairs from their desks to see it. Um, they've been Giving up their before. free time, let's oh, be honest. Sure. And um, they could drink free Coke all the time. They didn't have to mm-hmm. come down for a bottle, a free bottle of Coke. And, uh, you know, I'm going to grab one or two before I leave. But um, it's, I think, to see that is uh, really why I'm sure that they were so enthusiastic and wholeheartedly involved um, from the beginning and, and accepting of the idea. So from Porsche's point of view, and particularly from Porsche Motorsport, Coke really is it? I put that in our press release, absolutely. And I think that it's, um, you know, with it on the quarter panel like it was on the 962, there's so many natural tie-ins that it was it, almost a no-brainer and you couldn't miss, you know, no matter what you did with this. And um, to have it turn out the way it looks, I mean, obviously you can't see it on our conversation, but it's amazing, right? Well, just think of the original because that's exactly what, it's a different shaped car, but I love your, uh, even down to the hero cards that you've had, had done, it's got the current RSR and the mirror image underneath is the 1980s race car. It's right. And that's what I mean with working with unbelievable people, mm-hmm. right? We're all, it's easy to say you can't miss. But you also have to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it and have respect for the history Mm -hmm. as well as having a little respect for what you're doing at the moment, but also all in the same vein of of trying to keep it in the right light. And um, we're not just making things to sell. We're not just trying to figure out a way to sell 10 more Mm T-shirts. It's the secondary byproduct of the first step, which is the creation and putting it together. And then I like to say you do the right thing and the right things happen. And then this is an example of that. Great thought in the first place, beautifully executed, massively on brand for both of those behemoths of, of world marketing. Dave, you and the team deserve a big thumbs up and a good up. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Dave Engelman, uh, rounding off our programme, uh, looking at the rekindling of that special relationship between Porsche and Coca-Cola that will see the red and white cars back on track for Motul Petit Le Mans, October the 12th. Uh, we'll have full coverage on RS2, IMSA Radio, Sound and Vision, of course, for those who are in territories that do not have network television. Our uh, Petit Le Mans coverage starts on the Wednesday of race week uh, with Midweek Motorsport at its usual time, but from an unusual venue when I'll be down at Porsche's US headquarters in Atlanta next to the airport with the Porsche Experience guys as well. The drivers will be with us. That's going to be a bit of fun. Uh, I guarantee you we're going to put the drivers through their paces in ways they could not possibly understand. And we'll have reports from that for you with the show coming live uh, from one Porsche drive. Before that, we get back to what passes for normality next week at 8 o'clock UK time. We'll get the gang back together for a more regular form of midweek motorsport. Uh, Until then... Uh, I'm off with the llama to share a cork and a smile. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.